Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Buenos tardes, mi amigos. Hola, my good friends. Cinco de mayo on Tuesday. And I hoped we'd see each other again. Oh, bitch! Mikey likes you. It's a podcast. If you hadn't figured that out already, I mean, I guess we're really both behind the eight ball. a very special fun episode um it's all about sex and uh it's a very positive i think discussion about sex and sex life and how it affects you um i guess your overall health your mental health your emotional health and how dramatically it can be affected in both directions you know negatively and positively when your sex isn't up to snuff and i just i mean i guess i don't i don't have to say this but um I would like to point out, if you're someone out there who is voluntarily celibate or um, waiting till marriage or whatever it is, if if you're one of these people that, um, for moral reasons, has decided that you don't engage in sexual activity, um, I I actually, I give you props. Um, It's not for me. (laughs) But uh, no, there's a big difference. Um, I think a lot of people lie to themselves and lie to others when they say that, you know, it's for, for moral reasons. And then the truth is, is that they're just scared and embarrassed or, or have had rejection in the past. And, they, and now this is a very kind of easy front, um, which is unfortunate because it kind of deteriorates from the people who choose to do it for the right reasons. And the right reasons would be, I guess, your faith. Um, maybe you just don't feel like you're emotionally or physically prepared to do it. And uh, I'm not encouraging anyone to to abstain from sex or to have lots of it. I am encouraging people to engage in healthy sex as much as they possibly can. Some people are not capable of inv- in, involve, in, engaging in any healthy sex. You're not at that point in your life. You're, you're, you're literally incapable of having healthy sex. Um, some people are capable of having lots of it. Um, I think I'm at that point right now with my wife. I, I think I have a lot of healthy sex. I would like more, as I think most married men would. But I'm still a very... Uh, I'm a very satisfied husband. Um, the reason I, you know, I even made that caveat about... Uh, celibacy, abstinence, whatever it may be, is that I had sex at a very young age. I lost my virginity at a very young age. And I wanted it (laughs) really badly. But looking back on it, it definitely distorted my view on women and sex as a whole. And it wasn't good for me. And if I have to... If I have a young man who comes to me for advice, I, I would, with with all of my uh, authenticity, tell that guy, if you have a choice between waiting too long or doing it too early, err on the side of waiting too long. There's very little downside to waiting too long to have sex for the first time. There's a huge downside to having it too early. So, you know, when I I meet friends of mine who are, uh, and I have uh, a lot of fundamental problems with organized religions, all of them, not just, you know, I'm not picking and choosing, Um, but I'm not a, I'm not a religion hater. I'm not a secular guy. I I, I do believe in a higher power. I do believe that there's things out there um, 
greater than us, powers that we can't see, feel, or touch, excuse me, can't see, feel, or smell, or hear. I mean, it's just beyond us, beyond our understanding. I'm a believer, but I also have a lot of, like, sincere fundamental problems with religion. But if religion brings you, if your faith brings you to a point where you can honestly say that it makes you a better person, how can, how can someone be against that? I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, and if your religion then tells you that it's important for you to abstain until marriage, I, I got your back, man. I got your back. You know, and I'm a man whore. And I just, I guess, I, I never wanted this podcast to be one that even inferred the idea that I was kind of passing judgment on someone's lifestyle or trying to encourage someone to live a certain way because that's not my goal. I'm not trying to tell you how to live or how you should or shouldn't do things. I am, I think, rather fearless when it comes to talking about anything and everything and hopefully through that as a guy who's made a lot of mistakes and and had some success that it can relate to you. you. You can relate to it and that it hopefully will uh, illuminate certain things in your life. Um, so I have a lot of sex. I've always been kind of that guy, single and in relationships. I've been, uh, I, I'm a sexual person, um, but I can't say that I've always been very healthy about it. Um, so I, I encourage people to have as much sex as they can in a healthy way. Uh, man, woman, trans, cis, straight, gay, it doesn't matter. I, I just think that sex is a beautiful, great thing that is super beneficial and healthy. It, but it can, be, it can be very, 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 very traumatic if it is done in certain situations. Um, so, you know, that's all. And uh, so I, you know... Being that this is about sex, I just wanted to throw that out there for you virgins out there who are listening, uh, that this isn't, this isn't a, a show coming from a guy who's like, <laughs> virgin, <laughs> oh, you virgin, oh, silly person who doesn't have sex, you are, uh, you are beneath me. Um, no, no, it's just, that's not the way it is. But this is, in fact, about the, the, the exercise of sex, and uh, I, I, I really am pumped on this podcast uh, for a lot of reasons. One, I don't get a lot of females um, to to um, interview, and that's not by lack of trying. It's just like uh, my circle um, in both wellness and fitness and all that in recovery, everything really is, is, is heavily male-dominated. Um, a lot of my friendships and real valuable relationships with women are relationships that come through my wife. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit more limited. I, I'm trying to branch out. I, I'm sincerely trying as hard as I can to do that. Um, also, uh, I, I think this is not women's fault. I, I, as someone who really understands this business, the business of kind of broadcasting and audio entertainment, um, I, I do think women are have a much higher pressure to not be as vulnerable and as bold as a lot of guys can be. So being that this show is what it is, I don't necessarily feel as comfortable sometimes asking a woman to to come on and be like, okay, now let's go, spill your guts. Um, because I don't think, even if a, a woman in, instinctively feels like she should or could, I do think there's a lot of external pressure on a woman to to not necessarily be that open. Um, so, you know, there's factors into it. But I today I do have a, a really, really amazing woman to talk to. Um, she is an entrepreneur. She is a real go-getter. She is a United States Navy veteran. She was a Navy nurse. And she has started her own company. And it is considered, widely considered, one of the best, if not the best, sexual technology company on the planet. It is named after her. She is Laura DiCarlo. Her company is Laura DiCarlo. Um, and... We talk about a myriad of stuff, um, kind of the pressure, the different pressures, the different anxiety that comes with being a man and a woman, being straight and gay, um, with with uh, with sex, America, and the way we look at it, um, sex is a is a weird deal in, in this country. Um, but uh, Laura, and that's L O R A, Laura DiCarlo, D I C A R L O. 
is the company. LauraDiCarlo.com is where you can find out everything about her and all the different products she does bring up. And a really, really admirable, really, really cool together chick, man. She's a, she's a really, really smart, um, ambitious person, and uh, I, it was a real pleasure to talk to her. And I think she does shed a lot of light on um, the state of kind of American sexuality. So even if you don't have a vagina and you have no interest in a sexual toy to stimulate your vagina, I think that there, this is a really valuable uh, podcast. And again, her name is Laura DiCarlo, and she is the young lady I'm talking to, so let's get after it. Uh, thank you for joining me today. I, I'm, I'm actually really excited. I rarely get, I don't want to say nervous, but I, I mean, I, find, I don't find myself like consciously thinking about, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? What am I going to ask a guest? But with with you, I, I, I did find myself getting like a little self-conscious about what I was going to talk about, how I was going to approach it, because even though I consider myself like a pretty enlightened guy when it comes to sex, it's still just uncomfortable for most people. I, I get, so it's, it's so weird. You know, I'm a 41-year-old guy. I have a child. I have had lots of sex. I am, I've been spent my entire adult career talking openly about sex. Not not only my own, but other people's. Like, and I still am. I, you know, I just found myself kind of <laughs> a little bit weirded out, you know, before I sat down to talk with you. Yeah, I think um, I, I think there is a moment in time when you lit- like literally talk about vaginas all day, every day. There is a moment in time where I finally just went. I'm no longer nervous about talking about this. But yeah. I think it's it's just kind of it's kind of par for the course for everyone. Um, and I remember standing in a room full of like mostly male investors, like I think there were nearly 10 and one particular situation I was thinking about, and I actually talked about it earlier today with, um, with, a uh, with a journalist, uh, who was asking about, you know, what it's like to pitch to male investors, particularly within VC. And, um, I remember this was, I want to say two years ago. And, uh, we hadn't, you know, everything that happened with the consumer electronics show hadn't happened yet. Um, but I had these big ideas and these like, you know, we're going to we're going to take over the world kind of um, that kind of outlook. And um, I remember staring at this whole room full of people and they're they're looking at me and I'm like, you know, obviously I make a product that goes inside of a vagina. Yeah. So I say the word vagina. I say it a lot. I say it on stage. I say it on podcasts and everybody. It's awkward. And then I, I finally, I kind of say vagina as many times as I possibly can until everybody looks like they're sweating. And I just kept doing it. Vagina, orgasm, vulva. And over and over again. And at one point, I couldn't even contain myself anymore. I just like looked at the room and was like, so is everybody uncomfortable yet? And everyone was just like, me. And I was like, guess what? Like the fact is, is that, you know, this year, this was in 2017, I think. So, you know, at the time the uh the sex tech industry was valued at around 16 or 17 billion um and projected to be uh worth over 50 billion by 2025 at the time so you know let's talk about roi guys the fact is is that not only yes i know you're interested in roi this that's all well and good clearly we're on the right trajectory but what does this also tell you it tells you that this is going to be dinner table conversation in less than 10 years. So get used to it. I, I mean, look, I, the, 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 the kind of semantics of it, the, the <laughs> X's and O's would tell you that it is, but I, I just find it almost hard to believe that it would be because it's so strange. America is so weird like that. Like, <laughs> like you said, there, this isn't, this isn't subjective. This is objective statistical science it's like the porn industry is a trillion dollars. The sex tech industry, like you said, is 15 to, you know, to 20 billion. So therefore not only are all of us involved, we're way into it yet. We still have this thing that prevents us from openly discussing it as if we are way into it. It's, it's the most kind of preposterous thing. And I, I, I do feel not to sound like I'm pandering or anything, but uh, I do feel like it's, it is way worse for women um, because oh, that's, not at all. that's, that's, and that's not even, you know, you're, that's, that's a fact. And, and what, 
before we get into that and like breaking it down and, and getting your insight into like the, the actual st- state of women and sexuality, you're, you started this sex tech company as a medical student and I, what really compelled you to, to take your life and really derail everything that you had going for you? And we're not talking about you like you're not studying communications at a JC. You're in medical school. This is some you're, you're completely consumed by what you're doing. And you said, I, I need to completely pivot and, and devote it to, to sexual tech, especially for women. What was kind of the impetus for that? And, and, and why did you feel, uh, clearly you felt incredibly passionate about it? So I was actually looking on the barrel of um, 11 years ago. I was finishing up pre-med um, at the time. And I was previously um, a Navy nurse officer. And uh, I wanted to go into... Uh, orthopedic surgery um, that requires, you know, another four years in school and, and at least six years in residency. So um, I was working for several different types of physicians at the time and working with them and um, particularly a cardiologist that I worked with quite a bit um, constantly was telling me, you know, Laura, don't, don't do it. And I, and I realized, so beyond just the sex tech piece, I realized that, you know, the whole reason that I even decided to step into the world of medical was because I wanted to help people. I wanted to change the world. And unfortunately, particularly in America, it's not really, that's not the option anymore. Um, You become a part of a much larger corporate scheme and, you know, your day is filled with mostly paperwork and very little patient face-to-face time. Um, And I wanted the autonomy. I wanted the autonomy of of, uh, being my own boss running my own practice. And um, unfortunately, also the solo practice is, is, it's on its way out. So I was looking down the barrel of boatloads of paperwork through the roof. Um, my, uh, you know, my ability to really be a change agent was kind of withering away. Um, you know, the money was kind of starting to go through the floor for um, a lot of, for the, for the pathway for a lot of these different kinds of practices. And uh my autonomy was just out the window. You don't get to be your own, you know, be your own boss anymore in that space. And so I, what happened was I had this orgasm um, with a partner and I was actually doing a lot of experimentation at the time. I was, I was single, I was dating lots of different kinds of people, men, women, and even couples, and just discovering more about myself sexually. And what I discovered is when I had this particular kind of orgasm, it wasn't necessarily about the partner that I was with. Like, you know, they were, they were good. But what I, I remember literally like having this seizure off the side of the bed going, holy shit, like, how do I do that again? And how do I do it by myself? How do I take that power? How do and I, I, I've heard, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I've heard you describe yeah. it as a blended orgasm. Yes. And I don't yeah. want to sound like a dummy, but is, is that clitoral and vaginal, it's the canal, yeah. vaginal canal uh, at the yeah. same time? So actually what you're doing specifically is the, the, the clitoris is actually about the same size as if you were to put your fingers up for a peace sign, right? Okay. Um, and that's uh, the, the little band of the boat is right about between your index and your middle finger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the glands clitoris, the part that you do see. So when... Um, and then uh, beneath the external structure is the rest of the body of the clitoris, which can be up to about four inches in length and is just beneath the surface of the vulva, labia, uh, internal and external, or inner and, and uh, outer labia. And when you stimulate the glands clitoris and then you go on and you stimulate where the urethral sponge is, it actually swells and it puts more pressure on the rest of the body of the clitoris. And you end up with this really full body um, amazing, yes, blended orgasm. Because what you're actually doing is you're stimulating the whole clitoris from the inside to the outside. And um, you can actually, if you really want to take it a step further, you can create what's, you know, a lot of people have heard of it as a squirting orgasm. And some people, I've talked to a lot of people with vaginas who are like very nervous about it. They're like, oh, I felt like I had to pee, so I made them stop. And yeah. I was just like, no! No, you were so close to one of the coolest orgasms you've ever had. And that's when you stimulate that whole body um, and particularly to start putting pressure up like where the urethral sponge is. And that actually causes the body to dump fluid into the bladder, not urea, um, but also the stains gland will actually dump um, prostate specific antigen and uh, fructose, among other things. And you'll expel that when you orgasm and it is mind bending. 
Um, but even, even before you have that squirting orgasm, you can still have a blended orgasm that doesn't necessarily mean you have to squirt, but that's the orgasm that I had. And it was absolutely, it was a full body experience. And I, I was literally twitching. Um, I felt like I had, like I was having an out of body experience. It was absolutely just magical and mind blowing. It's, it's ridiculous. There aren't words for it. Um, but all I could think is like, I didn't know my body could do that. Right. And how do I do it again? How do I learn how to do that? And that's when I started looking in, into medical journals, into my medical textbooks, looking for information. How did this exactly happen? I had to find it in women's health magazine. So the, the information didn't exist. So I started looking for a product that said it would do that also. That didn't exist either. I wanted something that could fit me, fit my anatomy, my physiology. I wanted something that actually didn't just vibrate, but moved like a human partner. I like, and I was thinking at the time, like, how hard is that? Um, I also come from a, a family of engineers. And before I went into uh, the Navy as a Navy nurse, I was actually recruited as um, a nuclear engineer. So I'm thinking in my brain, um, my very mathematical brain, that shouldn't be that hard. That's robotics. Somebody must have done it by now. And I'm also thinking, I want this thing to be hands-free because like, why should I have to use my hands? Like I, a lot of people kind of get to that orgasm because they're able to really focus on what's going on and the sensations that are going on inside the body and using your hands is a distraction. So I went looking for that product and that didn't exist either. So I started figuring out, okay, if the data doesn't exist, the product, product doesn't exist. Does anybody else want this? So I did a couple of things here. I started asking people about their personal anatomy and what like, you know, what they were shaped like, what their measurements were. I started experimenting with some of the girlfriends that I was dating and saying, was this just me or is this like, is this a thing? Turns out it was a thing. And I was able to recreate that experience for other people. And I was like, okay, so, um, you know, I kept talking to these people and asking them, you know, about their physical data. And I got these, the same response from almost everyone. First, it was, you know, kind of uh, shock and awkwardness and uh, embarrassment that turned into just really vapid curiosity. Like, I want to I want to talk about this more because nobody ever talks to me about this stuff. This is so neat. Like, this is my body and I don't know anything about it. And that was the second thing I realized. They didn't know anything about their pleasure points. I'd actually teach a lot of people and actually put together diagrams for people to find their clitoris and find uh, that fabled G-spot portion, that just that front and that anterior spot on the vaginal wall, um, that when you stimulate the glands, that causes the entire body of the crystal. So talk people through that. And then the third thing, obviously everybody wants to know why. And when I told them, I think there's a, there's a product that, you know, there's this experience, I'm gonna recreate this experience. And I think it can be done with a product and everybody, across the board was like where is it can i have it when when can i buy it do you have it yet what do i do and um and i was just like i have no idea i'm i'm just a i'm just a student just trying to figure this out because i'm just disgustingly curious and right. i want to know why it doesn't exist i i, I honestly I, I admire you so much because um I, I know i'm not alone when i say that like i've had these what seem to be harebrained ideas and people call them pipe dreams, whatever they may be. And they come along and I'm legitimately super passionate about it. And all I do is figure out ways to talk myself out of following that. And like the, the fact for the fact that you just kind of took something where, where you saw that in the, you know, 35, 40 years at the time of like a real sex industry, there's, n- there's just no one's d- gone down this route. There's no data. There's no nothing. And you said, well, well perfect. <laughs> Let's hack it. Let's go. I wish it, and, you know, Mikey, I wish it was that easy <laughs> mm-hmm. because um, I was terrified. It took me a long time to actually get the company off the ground because I had this immense fear of failure. I had that imposter syndrome. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to step through the door and then fall flat on my face. And um, I didn't, you know, there was a part of me that thought, I, you can't do that. You don't know the first thing about being an entrepreneur or a businesswoman or an inventor. Like, who, like, why do you think that you would be successful at this? And I think through my experiences, the thing that I've realized is that it's not just me. Like, the, the, 
like I just got done speaking at a conference today and, and one thing that I'm really trying to push is it's called the altruistic agenda. And it's, it's about how if we start pursuing business and dreams and, and, you know, innovation with kind of a, a mindset of we instead of me, um, we're going to get a lot further, a lot faster. And that's exactly what I've done with Laura DiCarlo is um, early on, I thought it was just like, I have to do this all by myself. And, and I discovered you're not going to get very far at all. And that's when I ended up talking to um, Dr. John Parmigiani at Oregon State University. That's when I started recruiting engineers that knew what they were doing. That's when I started recruiting uh, folks in marketing that were brilliant and PR analysts that are brilliant. And uh, that's when we started to really grow and started to see this much bigger picture. Um, so behind me, I have a team of, of 28 people that are, I mean, they're my, my team, my family. I rely on them and, and I could never do the jobs that they do. Right. But I realized that it's, it is about we instead of me. And we are, we are in pursuit of a much bigger, uh, much bigger goal than just making product. It's about allowing everyone to feel more comfortable within their own bodies and, and through sexual exploration. So we're, we're trying to change the narrative about how we look at masturbation, sex, uh, sex and sexual identity and gender, and how do we become more inclusive and, and allow people to feel more comfortable with themselves. Yeah. I mean, I do, I think it's really important and I can't, um, at all pretend to understand what it's like to be a woman and, and, and develop comfortable sexuality and things like that. But hosting Loveline gave me this weird insight in that, uh, you know, it's this, it's this really open kind of very, uh, safe environment of an advice show where, people of all ages and, and all genders and all sexualities are calling in talking about sex. And uh, in, in the dozen, you know, I mean, like the, the decade that I did it, we probably took, I, I will say we took zero calls of grown men who said, well, I've never had an orgasm. So <laughs> uh, I just, I'm curious as to how I got, we probably took a hundred to 200 calls from grown ass women not teenagers, sometimes in their 30s, sometimes in their 40s and above, who have like, I've never had an orgasm, so it's very difficult for me to do A, B, and C. And 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 as a straight dude, and a, and a particularly horny straight dude, I'll be very honest, like <laughs> my, my head, my head just, it, it, it gets all fuzzy because I go, well, how the fuck do you, because for me, look, I, I, guys, I've always said guys, <laughs> our, our genitals, it's like a, like a, a 98 accord. Like, it's pretty easy to understand. You put the key in, turn it on, and you go. And you start touching your penis when you're, you know, 10 or 11, 12. And eventually you do it for longer, and then orgasm happens. Women have very, like, like a vintage Lamborghini, and it's sometimes pretty difficult to understand. On, on top of the added layer of, like, the taboo and, and, and the social kind of stigma around even masturbation and sex and stuff. So did you did you feel like there was hope with this sexual tech that you were developing for making it so you could kind of just erase this, this notion that there's going to be grown women who never, who never have the, the joy of an orgasm. Uh, yes, absolutely. There's also going to be a lot of, a lot of folks, like I said, um, well, not, I haven't said yet, but I've said it before. I can't make um, a product that is going to solve everybody's sexual problems. Um, or, or, or concerns, or, you know, I can't give everybody the exact experience that they want, but I can come down close to it. Um, and the one thing that we do try to message with, um, our, our consumers, our followers, our users is that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it might not work for you, but just because this didn't work for you specifically does not mean that you are broken. There is a path to pleasure for you, for everyone. We actually surveyed, um, over 1,500 people last year and asked everybody, oh, how familiar are you with your personal, um, with your pleasure points? And we actually got back 78% um, of straight females are familiar with the location of their clitoris. And um, you know, on top of that, uh, the LGBTQ community, uh, an increase of 86% of, of, of them were actually very familiar with the location of their clitoris. On the flip side, um, those that were familiar with their G-spot or their urethral sponge, um, that was only 43% of right. cisgendered straight women um, and an 
and an increase at 50% for the LGBTQ community. And so I think it's not necessarily that they're, that it, that we're too complicated. It's just nobody's done the damn work. Right. Um, and actually, like, and you, you may even know this, that uh, Dr. Mortimer Granville was actually the original inventor of the vibrator um, that originated in the 1880s. And Sweet. the reason, yeah, right? Was um, it like wooden? What, 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 well, no, and then this, is the, this is the messed <laughs> up part is that he, he invented this because uh, doctors were actually using their hands um, to elicit orgasms in females that they dubbed as having female hysteria. Um, in, pa- in patients? Yes. Female, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, bitch is crazy. Just give her an orgasm. She'll <laughs> find and send her on her way. And I'm like, holy shit. So this guy invents a vibrator in order to save his, his hand labor saving uh, device. I'm sure he had tons of carpal tunnel. Good for him. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and basically we've, we haven't done much with it since. Um, not only was it, was it ill-informed and ill-positioned to begin with, but um, we haven't innovated it since then. Uh, so that's what we're aiming to do is create these situations, create these experiential products that do feel like human partner, that, that mimic biology or biomimicry um, in order for people to kind of get after the experience that they want. So our first product, Ose, is is more of a tool than just a toy. It's, it's like first and foremost, its its purpose is to help people understand their own physiology and their their uh, their pleasure anatomy. You know, figure out where exactly are your pleasure points. How do you like to be stimulated? How like what kind of stimulation do you like? Um, and in turn, I've had like some males and some people ask me, "Well, are you just trying to replace men?" No. No, I am actually, I am doing you a favor, sucker. I am actually trying to educate you by educating your partner about her own body, about her own anatomy. When she feels more comfortable or when that person with the vagina feels more comfortable about where their pleasure points are and they feel confident about it, that gives them the the power to be able to turn around and tell their partner, hey, guess what? I know that you've been uh, you know, over there sucking on that thing right there. That that's actually not the right spot. It was actually over here, and you're, you know, do it just this way instead. I know this now. I'm more empowered. And guess right. what? Because now I feel great about myself. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to work, and I'm gonna kill it in the boardroom. So, um, and I find that it does. It 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 branches out into our everyday life. You feel confident in the bedroom. You feel confident in all sorts of spaces. Look at me. I started a company after I had an orgasm. Absolutely. And and I, I do think that that's like way more common than a lot of people really think. But the, the, the man, the straight guy who's threatened by sex toys, female sex toys, is a very real thing. And it's crazy. And I look, yeah. I, I will. I'm not going to. OK, I'm not going to pass judgment because I probably felt the same way when I was 16, you know, where I would yeah. be threatened by the idea of something else providing pleasure. But if a, pure, a human being finds better ability to find pleasure and to find more pleasure, all that's going to do is to – it's going to dovetail into them wanting to engage in that type of behavior more. I mean exactly. – And I, I can't stand when I hear guys kind of pushing that narrative. Yeah, but, it's a very kind of puritanical outlook and, and yeah. very it's very it's very egotistical actually because you're telling me that – you don't want your partner to ex- to experience. I mean, if you really want to unpack that, you don't want your partner to experience pleasure because you feel bad because you don't know what you're doing. So they right. are the ones that lose out. And it's not to say that that's the wrong. You know, that I'm like I'm badgering somebody for feeling that way. It's understandable. Like you don't want to feel bad about the fact that you don't know more or that you can't be better for your partner. But this right. is an opportunity for your partner to learn more about themselves, and therein you learn more about them, and therein you can be a better partner. So, I do think that the motives though for guys when they do that, and I, I, again, I'm not making excuses. I do think it's wrong and it's misguided, but I, I do think um, women should understand, at least speaking from my, my perspective and a lot of, a lot of my male friends, you know, I, I, the motives are much more pure than I think women realize. It's oh, yeah. because guys really, really, really are invested in 
pleasuring their partners. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's really, um, there's a real sense of inadequacy when there's prop, any type of dissonance in getting to the finish line. Um, you, you, do, you do measure yourself as a man and your inability yeah. to provide a woman, you know, what she's looking for. So, yeah. so I do think the motives are pure, but I do think it's, it's, it's just really misguided how, yeah. how guys think that. I think like, that's what we're trying to do is change the narrative and change um, how, you know, change the stigma that is wrapped around sexuality and, and wrapped around masturbation and sex tech, um, you know, and there, there's an opportunity here for us to be better and for us to be better for our partners. And, um, you know, and I think it, a lot of it just, uh, it, it comes with being able to smash through that stigma, through that shame and, and enabling people to have conversations between like between partners, which is also why we actually offer uh, sexual coaching right. um, as, as an additional service for those that, that do want to kind of get into that a little bit. And I will tell you for like one thing, um, it is actually, it's, there've been very few men that have come to me and said, aren't you trying to replace men just to be, just to be very clear and transparent. I am not, I am not some kind of crazy feminist man hater. I absolutely, I have a ton of men that are on my team and they have been nothing but amazing allies and advocates who are willing and able to learn. And they see the positive uh, impact that products like this have, not just for women and people with vulvas and vaginas, but for, for partners and for men to be able to learn more about their partners. Um, And so for the most part, we've had a really positive, um, uh, positive, reaction to to what we do i and i i want to echo that sentiment and i i don't want to sound like a shill um but i i think what uh, go to lauradecarlo.com by the way to not only check out all the amazing products but also the well sx program that she was talking about uh the, the sexual sexual essentially coaching and therapy um i i i couldn't agree more and i couldn't support that endeavor more in that every Every problem I've seen in a straight couple between men and women when there's sexual problems, guys, myself included, I was married before uh, and um, I I have zero negative things to say about my ex-wife, but we didn't have a very comfortable sexual relationship. And it wasn't because I wasn't attracted to her. It wasn't because she wasn't attracted to me. It wasn't because of anything she did physically, sexually. It wasn't because it was because I didn't get her and she oftentimes didn't get me and she didn't understand where I was coming from. And I certainly didn't understand where she was coming from. And I always tried to um, use man brain to understand what she was thinking. And I was like, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm getting fat. Uh, maybe I don't make enough money. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Really, really like this stuff that's like literally just on the surface. And mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy that. I, I appreciate that you brought this up because this is this is like kind of outside of my purview, particularly where where it pertains to sex, but um, where where the company is 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 involved. But I do believe that we also stigmatize divorce too, and we mm-hmm. stigmatize like when we say, "Oh, you couldn't make it work." Maybe it wasn't meant to work. Maybe it wasn't. You know, there are billions of people on this planet. Just because you couldn't make it work with one of them does not mean that you're a terrible human being. And it doesn't mean that, like, you know, sometimes it's just not meant to be. And actually, there's a, um, an influencer that I just adore. Her name is Rachel Cargo. And she, uh, she just posted about this a few weeks back about her, her ex-husband and how he is one of the most amazing people on the planet. And I, this really resonated with me because that's exactly how I feel about my ex, who is a DC, um, just loves this person. He's an amazing human being. Um, and always did everything they could to try to bolster and, and lift up the relationship, but it just wasn't there. It was and nice to be. there's nothing wrong with that. Moving on and and taking care of yourself and in embracing your own mental health and wellness and being kind to yourself and being kind to them, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Was it an uphill battle? And I, I will immediately get to the Well SX program because I'm really a big believer in it and I, I actually had the chance to experience it and I'm can't say enough good things about it, but I, I'm just curious, and and I I I, um, I want to say this without seeming in any way forward. This is kind of just more of a, a piece of evidence for the listeners. You are you are an incredibly attractive woman, and then to go into the field of sex tech and try to get investors. I'm sure a lot of them were men, a lot of them straight men. Was it this weird thing? Was there any type of 
bordering on inappropriate behavior or, or, or were you treated in a way that was dismissive? Because I can only imagine, like, I'm a guy, I'm a venture capitalist or whatever it is, and I hear this woman, yeah, she wants to make fucking dildos and, and uh, vibrators and shit, and then you walk in the room and they're like, whoa, okay, so she's smoking hot and she wants to make sex toys. Uh, so what are you doing after the meeting? You want to go grab a drink? I mean, was, there, <laughs> was that an uphill battle for you? Um, first off, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and really, uh, not nearly as much as you'd think I can be an intimidating bitch. That is for sure. Um, and I think that's like, it depends on, I, I, one thing I do pride myself in is reading a room. Um, and I can walk into a room full of people that, and I know that they feel uncomfortable and I can make them feel totally at home with them, like with me and, and really, really want to get to know them and, and, and help them feel valued. And I can also walk into a room and know that everybody looking is looking at me like I'm a joke and have them taking me very seriously by the end of that conversation. Just, just by, I, I think a lot of that I attribute to, um, you know, my upbringing with my parents and, you know, having been a woman in the Navy and, and just to give you some background, um, when I was like very early in my military career, I, one of the females actually took all of us, uh, one of our superiors took us all and sat us down in a room and, and told us, Hey, you have a choice to make about your, your career in the military. You're either going to be a bitch or a slut, pick one. And if you pick the latter, get out. And, um, wow. my, my nickname actually in, in not, uh, my nickname in the Navy was actually Mama Haddock or Mama DiCarlo. Um, because I refused to let that be a label that I was going to, that I was going to take on. And yeah, I could be one hell of a bitch, but I was a very caring, uh, very altruistic person that just really wanted to see everybody around me thrive and grow. And so when I walk into those rooms full of like male VCs where I know that they're kind of laughing like little boys, you know, my approach is exactly that. I'm going to make you feel as fucking uncomfortable as I want. And then I'm going to walk out and I don't need your money. Um, and, uh, and I've done that. Do and we and we can do that and and I think if there are any entrepreneurs listening right now, I want to remind you that you don't necessarily need that VC's money. There are plenty of VCs out there. There are plenty of angel investors out there. And what you need to do is find somebody that gets your purpose, somebody that gets your value, because you have a lot to offer. And you're not there with your handout. You are there to show them that they should be clamoring to invest in you. And so I took that, you know, I took that very seriously. I walked in and I was like, I've got this really amazing thing going on. I don't think you're really a good fit for me. Right. Good and, for you. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, no, I, and I, and I love hearing that. And I, I just, it definitely crossed my mind because I, I'm just being a realist. Like I, I know like, <laughs> even in, in my line of work on the radio or in television, it's like you're setting up to uh, interview a female and nothing changes it's it there's literally no difference in my mind between interviewing anyone of any any race creed color gender whatever she walks in and she's attractive that that changes things it does, it does. i'm not gonna you know you're like oh gosh i'm i become a little bit more conscious of my behavior i become a little bit more trying you know i try to be cool guy when i'm not necessarily being natural and it's you know it's a thing straight guys are you know we're, we're <laughs> barbarians <laughs> yeah, and I, um, and I don't, and I don't, I don't, I don't think that you know. I, I, I highly doubt that they like walked out of the room and they were like, "Wow, she was, you know, she was real like intelligent, and I like that 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 product." I, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of times when they're just like, "Damn, I'd love to hit that." And and yeah. you know what? Honestly, one, grow up. Two, like whatever. Like you're yeah. not the first um, to one hit that or say that. So get over yourself. Get over um, yourself. True. Um, the, the well SX program that you talked about, what was it just kind of part and parcel for what you were trying to do with not only development of the sex tech, it wasn't just about, Hey, I want to have, I want to have orgasms and I want other women to have orgasms. <laughs> you really wanted to like, this was a, this was the vision for you. Like you said, I wanted to change the world and you know, sexual taboo is absolutely a real thing and a dangerous thing in this country. And, and yeah. so was that just kind of the, the, the impetus behind that and the energy going into it? Not, not exactly. I mean, the, the reason that we, that we started that program is I can hear my Pomeranian barking. <laughs> He's like, ah, there's somebody at the door. Like, okay, dude. Um, 
also the most cutest, like the cutest, fluffy ass thing I've ever seen. But I'm surprised we've made it this long without my dogs barking. So don't right, honestly don't right. sweat it. Wow. Um. Anyway, so uh, yeah, the the wellness sex program actually was born out of um, out of out of our customer service program because when we first launched Osei, we launched Osei this year. We launched our very first product, and it shipped in January. And um, there obviously, when I'm endeavoring to make a product that solves all of these issues and does all of these things, guess what? It's going to be complicated. And guess what people do with new complicated ideas and new complicated tech? They get they fuck them up. <laughs> and they get confused and yeah. they go, it doesn't work. And no, a lot of the time it does work. Oh, well, hello, sir. Um, uh, somebody decided to come visit me. Um, nice. Harry, look. Harry, look. You see? <gasps> Look at that, sweetie. Hi. <laughs> um, so it, what, uh, obviously, you know, part of our company's social purpose is to allow people to embrace their sexuality and feel, um, you know, more comfortable with their identity and their sexuality. Um, then I'm not going to sell this product and then just be like, figure it out yourself. I want to make sure that every single person has a great experience with that product and that if it doesn't, if it somehow doesn't work for them, that they understand that they're not broken, that there's nothing wrong with them. And that's why we're endeavoring to release more products. We're at products number four right now, and we're in, and we should have close to 11 by the time we hit December. So we're moving very quick, but on a separate note. Um, but when we started going through all these customer service questions, I started realizing like, these are like, who better to answer these questions than me? So I ended up on somewhere between like 40 and 60 customer service, like video one-on-one, like, Hey, guess what? What's going on? Like, what can I help you with? And they're like, wait, Laura. And I was like, yeah, what's going on? Cause most of the it's people me. knew my face from like CES and everything. And I was like, yeah, what's like, what's going on? Like, how can we make sure that you have a great experience? And they're like, what are you doing this for? And I was like, well, a couple reasons. One, I want to make sure that you have a good experience with this. Do you understand that? Like, you know, you know, the whole reason I, that I created this product and that we've done this is to make sure that you have a good experience. Um, and I want to know your feedback because how can I make something even better? And how can I answer the biggest problems in sexuality if I don't actually ask the people that are having the issues? Right. So, um, we started, that's how it started. And then it kind of started, we started realizing all these people I was talking to, they didn't just want to talk about the product. They wanted to talk about menopause. They wanted to talk about uh, uh, pelvic floor problems. They wanted to talk about trauma, sexual trauma. They wanted to talk about the, co- the, the communication or lack of communication with their partner. They wanted to talk about uh, body, co- like the, the comfort or discomfort they feel in their own bodies. Um, all of these things and sexual experiences that they've had because who better to listen to your sexual experience than somebody that literally like does this shit all day long. So, you know, they wanted to talk about all of these things and I went, like people need an outlet. Not only do am I seeing the the need for people and like they need this outlet, um, but I'm not a I'm not a therapist for one. But two, um, there's a need. There's a need for and a problem to be solved here. And the bigger problem, um, beyond just the fact that people want to talk about these things, is that education, sexual education, not only in America but worldwide, is pretty crappy. It's absolutely abhorrent and where else are we supposed to get that education? So we actually decided to take it upon ourselves to, to start. Um, and we were already writing more blogs and writing white papers and, and doing what we could to educate um, our followers and our community. And so we decided to take that a step further and actually offer those sessions where people can find a safe space to be able to talk about like their most taboo problems um, with somebody who really knows how to deal with them. And it it really is unbelievably valuable. I, I, I can tell you firsthand, my wife and I, who already going in, um, had a very, very good sexual relationship. And we were, we were both very open uh, and vulnerable about everything going on in our, in our lives sexually and outside of the bedroom. And even we found it to just be, like, invaluable. Just the smallest little exercises that you would, from an outsider's point of view, see as so meaningless and kind of innocuous – can turn out to be really valuable and to change I mean, for me as a, as a straight guy um it got me to really really like not just 
wax about this, wax poetic about this idea in like an illusory sense to really find something tangible to take sex out of just stimulation for my dick. Because that's that's what sex when it at the end of the day, sex for me is friction to my penis by female body parts. And then I realized I was like, there's there's so much more. Not only emotionally, there's so much more physically that goes into like great sex than just friction on my penis. And uh, you know, the, <laughs> and so I, I really I can't recommend it um, enough for for people because it's um, there's just an incredible value there. And I, I also think that people grossly underestimate for the sake of mental and spiritual health, how important good sex is. Like it's, oh, it's, it's vital. It yeah. could be one of the biggest components that, and that yet people refuse to kind of admit that. I think yeah, a lot of it is I mean, taboo, but. And, and we talk about like, even like folks that uh, identify differently, even those that are, you know, you know, some people are like, Oh, well, asexual people who identify as asexual aren't sexual. Actually. I mean, if you really think about it, they're making a choice to not be sexual. So therefore like somehow they are sexual in some right. Yeah. And that is something that, you know, some people need to talk about. So it is something, it is a, is a fundamental human need. It's literally at the very base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs on the pyramid, right next to food and air and um, in order to survive. But we don't talk about it. And so, you know, not only is it is it fundamental for our survival, but it's fundamental to feel comfortable within your own skin, within your own body. Um in order to be able to do those great things. So we really feel that if we allow people the opportunity to, to educate themselves about their own body, their own physiology, so that they feel more comfortable um, with their sexuality, their identity, that causes them to feel more confident. That confidence breeds this ability to be empowered to go out and change the world. So that is literally part of our, um, our social purpose is to change the world by allowing others to do so, by giving them the confidence to go out and do amazing things. I, I've stumbled into a strange area in the last, I don't know, four to five years. A, a big, a myriad of things have happened to me that have made me really reevaluate how I have treated women my entire life. Right. Um, and I had a daughter. I got married. I got married first, then had a daughter. Both of them radically changed how I look at women as a whole. Right. And um, I have always unashamedly been very into women and always wanted to be in, involved sexually, uh, emotionally with, with women. I, I've, I, I'm, I don't make it a, a secret, but I also am very, very um, sensitive to not even though I oftentimes want them specifically as a sexual, for my own sexual gratification, I don't want to treat women as if that's their purpose. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I don't want it to, to make this generalization. Like there aren't times and places when women just want to have a good fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like where I, I don't want to add to the taboo that women aren't sexual creatures. Bro, it goes both ways. Right, right. And so I, how do you think, I mean, just for, honestly, from just like your personal uh, opinion and your experience, how, how do you guys, uh, how do, I, I would say, mo- definitely straight men, but how, uh, lesbians as well, how do they get to the point where you can acknowledge and support the idea that women want to have sex, they want to have great sex, and they, and they shouldn't be ashamed of it, but at the same time, that's not really their main purpose for you. I mean, a, a great, a, you, a, a, you know what I'm saying? Understanding them as a yeah. human being and respecting them as a, as a fully formed human being is, is, yeah. is the, the kind of paramount idea. Well, I think it's like, I mean, you kind of have to start with androcentrism. You have to start with the fact that we as a society view the world through the lens of what is perceived to be normal from a male's point of view. Mm. We need to unlearn that. Um, and secondly, you're, what, you're disgu- what you're discussing or what you're describing is actually very, very much the Madonna whore complex. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a situation where, you know, me, like, let's, like, take me, for instance, I am allowed, I am allowed to be um, a sexual creature when it suits my partner or when it benefits them, but I have to be completely chaste and prudent um, when it distracts them or when it doesn't suit them. And then we create this, um, this really, uh, like just 
fucked up microcosm for every single little girl out there where they have to, you know, you're supposed to know what to do in the bedroom. You're supposed to be this sexual creature when you get married. But if you do any of that before you get married, you're a slut. Yeah. And, and that is not okay. Um, to, to put that on these, on these young women, to tell them you can't be sexual, but, um, you're not a good partner if you're not, but if you are, you're actually a slut. It's just this ridiculous double standard. So, um, I, I think what we need to do is we need to dis- destigmatize and stop slut shaming women. Guess what? Like, uh, this is the one thing I was talking about when I was in the, when I was in the Navy, like the, the story they gave me, if you're going to be a slut or a bitch, um, was guess what? If you go out and you kiss a guy, if you go on a date with a guy, if you God forbid, if you sleep with a man, you are a slut. Yeah. And but he can go out and bang twenty women in less than two weeks, and he's just a bro. Yeah. And, and oh, when not only just a bro, might get oh you celebrated. get all the you get celebrated. Yes. Yeah. You are you are like a god among men. Yeah. Um, but if I did that, I am like, I'm the school whore, you know? Um, and another, another facet of it too, that's kind of strange is that being that guy who uh, for a time was certainly celebrated for sleeping around. mm -hmm. Um, and I can't say that if I was single now, I wouldn't do the same, but I gotta be very honest. There was many times, many times where it made me feel bad. It made me feel empty. It made me feel like a, uh, I, I made me feel in, instinctively like I was not doing something right. So it, it, in order to kind of remedy this problem that women are dealing with, I don't think we should create this idea that when guys do it, it's all fucking cake and, and candy. It's, there's, there's a price to be paid too if you're a man whore. I, oh, yeah. I, definitely got, I definitely got high fives. I definitely got, you know, like, dude, you're the man's. But there was many, many, many times where I woke up and, you know, walked a girl to her car and I was like, man, I feel like a piece of shit, you know? What so- was your name again? <laughs> Sorry about that. Eh, you know what? Honestly, like, I, I, I'm guilty of the same, too. And I think yeah. at one point, um, I just started owning it. I was like, you know, like, I'd have people come by and... and um, you know, I'd, I'd let them come in and, you know, we'd do our thing and I'd be like, all right, you can go now. And there, you know, and it's not to say that there's, there's something empowering about that. Um, because it was more of a, a personal pursuit, but at the same time, sometimes you're right. Like, and, and you're not the only one, like being a dude, bro. And like getting all the high fives is all great, but it does make you feel shitty sometimes. And guess what? It does it does the same thing. Like you feel the exact same way if you're a female too. Um, and there were times when I was like, oh, that just like, I don't feel good about that. Um, but that's why I think it's just, you know, where education comes in and it's so important to really just understand what is it that makes you tick? Um, and, and again, coming back to that, that kind of altruistic approach, like doing good for others, it's really rewarding. So just going out to like, get your rocks off even though it's fun and it's it's enjoyable at the time, isn't always necessarily rewarding. But helping others and and kind of exploring that pleasure and and allowing somebody to feel comfortable with their own body, that is rewarding. So yeah. I think you know allowing yourself to feel more comfortable with your own sexuality, your identity. Not only does that you know make you make you a better uh, a better human in this world and want to just constantly be better. But it also allows you to be better for other people and allows you and actually promotes from within the ability to not feel like you have to judge others for being who they want to be. Right. It's a little bit of a, 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 a mental brain word vomit, but I think I probably circled that up. No, you did. You, de- you definitely <laughs> did. Um, how, uh, first off, I was just thinking about it. Was there a, was it a, 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 a contrived effort to go and find engineers to work at Oregon State University, being that they are the beavers? Or was that just <laughs> an, an if you're going to have them work on vaginal tools, they are the Oregon State beavers? Or was that just completely coincidental? You are you're not the first actually you're not the first person to say that, but it's only become like recently have a couple of people actually brought that up. And I'm just like, Oh my God, that's great. <laughs> um, so, uh, so 
No, actually, how I met, um, how I actually got involved with Oregon State University, I was, um, it was only a couple of weeks after I founded the company. And like I said, like, especially at that time, like, I was terrified, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I thought everybody was going to figure out that I was just a big imposter. And, um, you know, they were going to find, they were going to figure me out. And I was at this, this venture capitalist um, event uh, in Bend, Bend, Oregon, Bend Venture Conference. And um, my my original first investor, who did my seed round with me and became in, is one of my like most amazing mentors, um, is standing next to me. And he's like, "Go talk to those two guys over there." And I was just like, "Are you out of your mind? They're wearing suits. They look like they know what they're doing. They're gonna laugh at me." Nope, nope, nope. And um, and he says, "Look, you know way more about this than they ever will. You're gonna knock their socks off." They're going to be totally intimidated by you. Just trust me on this. And if you want to, if you want to drop a bomb on them, and I knew nothing about entrepreneurship, business, or anything at this point, um, they say use the term minimum viable product. And I was like, okay, yeah, that one you taught me yesterday. Sure, I'll drop that on them. Right. Watch this. And I'm walking over there, just going, "What are you doing? You're going to look like an idiot." And I go up to these two guys, and and I start pitching to them, and I realize, shit they're right. Like these two guys are super, they're, they're eating out of the palm of my hand. They're super excited. They know nothing about what I'm talking about, but they see the value and the possible ROI for a product like this and the, the need in the market for something like this and how it can solve a problem. And, and they're really, they're excited. This is a fun topic. It's something people don't talk about. Okay. This isn't so bad. So then I started getting kind of cocky and I kind of wrap it up with, yeah. So now I'm just looking to put together a engineering team so we can get to the uh, minimum viable product and and they kind of look at each other like hmm this girl knows what she's talking about and they look that's at me the and knockout like, we punch. know a guy and i was like <laughs> you do i mean <clears throat> that's great could you uh give me an introduction and that was actually they knew john dr john parmigiani who was the uh the uh uh at oregon state university's college of Inger- engineering and the um the head of the mime lab and that's how we got started with them. But it was, um, it was kind of a big joke because I'm just, I feel like every, the, the entire time that we've been doing all of this, it's just, it feels a little bit like, like, I believe I can do this, but it also feels a lot like fake it till you make it. And, Absolutely. Hey, it, uh, anything, I don't know much, but in my time on this earth, that's the one thing I've learned is that if you sit around and, and, and overly prepare or you plan and you you just wait till you think the moment's right. It, it's never going to happen. Just just go. Yep, just go and you, you, failure to launch. You are yep. setting yourself up for failure to launch because if you try to make it perfect, guess what? That doesn't exist. Yep. It's it's and it's and it's never going to be perfect. I mean, it's, and how you plan it on how you plan it on being in your perfect scenario isn't how it's going to turn out anyway. No, so just go. Not at all. <laughs> just go. <laughs> not at all. And, yeah. and I found that like, it, it's just a lot of the time, like the best work that I've done is this is when I've just, just died in and, and sometimes even with just a half-ass plan and just go and do it. Because honestly, it's not that it's too hard. It's, it's never too hard. It's just, it's just too scary. Hard. It's just hard enough. Mm-hmm. It's just hard enough for you to grow and be your better self. And it's just hard enough to be able to celebrate when you succeed and you're yeah. going to fail. There's going to be small failures. Um, but if you don't launch, then the biggest failure is just never doing anything to begin with. That's the, that's the worst. That's the biggest pain people can feel is looking back on it and knowing you threw in the towel, knowing mm-hmm. that you didn't, you just didn't do it. That's way worse than any ridicule or rejection that comes from trying and failing. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it's a real. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and I, I encourage everybody to check out Laura DeCarlo. That's L O R A DeCarlo dot com, where you can also find not only the tech but also the the Well SX program that I talked about. And um, I hope that um, I can check back in with you sometime and and kind of get updates on not only on everything going on in the world of Laura DeCarlo, but also just kind of keep tabs on where you're at hopefully in this global attempt to end the, the taboo and, and kind of all the weird feelings we have around sex. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely check in with me. Um, uh, we should have some pretty big news coming out 
um, towards the end of this year, we're pretty stoked about. Um, again, just trying to to smash through through those barriers, and um, it's definitely different uh, with everything going on with COVID, especially being in the middle of um, of uh, a civil rights movement and watching history actually be made in front yeah. of our eyes. And one thing I said earlier today was that I I hope that we actually look back on 2020 as the year that we finally started looking at at everything, at at true equity with 2020 vision, because we have an opportunity to do so much beyond just, beyond just sexual equality, beyond gender equality, um, to, to truly make space for everyone to be able to sit at the same damn table. And, and I can't say this enough. When you allow everyone to sit at the same table, you start making solutions that actually affect everyone. And when everyone has solutions for their problems, then that's when we start evolving and moving forward as a society. It's great words to end on. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, Laura. Yeah, thank you, Mikey. There it is. As I mentioned before, lauradecarlo.com. That's L-O-R-A. Dicarlo. Ay, Laura Dicarlo. Mi para ganeche. Te toro batando respetarche. D-I-C-A-R-L-O. lauradecarlo.com. Uh, not only can you find all those amazing pieces of technology, but the Well Essex program, which is um, sexual therapeutic counseling, is there. I did it myself. I know firsthand. It's good. It really is. You can get a lot out of it. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and download and do all that stuff so that uh, I can continue doing this more and more and more. And in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, I do. Be good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.